Hello everybody and welcome back and happy Friday. You are listening to Inside the Glass on KAMP Camp Student Radio 1570 AM in Tucson, Arizona and KAMP.Arizona.edu. This is the original hockey podcast in all of Southern Arizona. Love to have this last semester show. I am your host, Rob Leonio, alongside Eric Clock in the production room and special guest Brett Farah. Thanks for joining us today, Brett. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Glad, yeah, to, be glad to have you, Brett. Yeah, so, thanks, Eric. Thanks, Rob. So the uh, first topic that we have going on today is uh, we talked about this quite in depth on Tuesday, talking about Seattle getting an expansion team. And now that, you know, we had a couple of days to really, you know, put some thought Wait, to it. Wait, Seattle's getting a hockey team? Yes. No. <laughs> they got the 32nd team. I feel like we haven't known this was coming for a long time. but Yeah, yeah. We, it, it was very well expected. But now that we the, the official announcement was made, we had a couple of days to think about it. You know, first, I want to get your thoughts on it since Eric and I talked about it quite in depth on Tuesday. Well, I, I think it... It was a no-brainer from our seats, meaning the fans, the people covering it, the people that see it. We knew this was coming, um, but it's still nice to finally hear it. I think for non-hockey fans who who may be basketball fans, it's actually a more interesting, you know, re- evolution because they're going to be clamoring, obviously, for the uh, for the SuperSonics to come back, and it, it gives it more feet now that the arena's situation is being taken care of. If it ends up being a dual-purpose arena. Um, where the key arena is right now in the Seattle Center, um, but uh, but no, it totally it, it's something that that's been expected, and I think it solidifies some stability here in the desert to some extent. Even though we've heard for years that the Coyotes aren't leaving, and Gary Bettman has said that over and over again, it adds one less place they could potentially go. They're not going to Vegas. They're not going to Seattle. Quebec still has a building and wants a team, but so it's it's an interesting dynamic on that sense here in Arizona to be able to to uh, okay there's fewer places the Coyotes can leave to which means the likelihood of them sticking around are, is greater Houston I've heard as a possibility but there's uh, there's that component of it too so definitely not a surprise and um, does feel like a long ways away though but I guess that's the whole premise of having to rip apart a building and rebuild it almost completely so well that's the thing too with uh, the potential of Arizona leaving is I think that the NHL really likes these expansion dollars and how much money they're getting in right. these expansion fees I I mean, they made Seattle pay $650 million, which was $150 million more than what uh, Vegas had to pay. And, um, you know, I really couldn't see the NHL sponsoring relocation efforts, you know, given that they probably would just rather have people fill out expansion applications instead. Right. They're going to get way more money, to your point. The league is going to be better off. There's going to be m- more branding opportunities, more ability to, to spread stuff around. And, and, yeah, you're totally right, I think. Well, the owners like it better, too, because the owners get a share of that um, expansion fee. And with uh, Quebec, it seems that people think that either Ottawa would move there or Florida would move there. Not necessarily uh, the Coyotes, so right. I think really it's just Houston. Well, and you mentioned the owners. You know, the some of the talks have been down here that the potential for um, a training facility for the Roadrunners. I mean, this is where this stuff expands locally too. We're talking about Seattle, a couple thousand miles away, but it's the potential of that money coming to the Coyotes 
for the expansion for the Seattle franchise and them using that on local development. I'm not talking youth development per se, but expanding their ability to have a, a practice rink situation that even though they like where they're at up in North Scottsdale, it's a far drive. It's where a lot of the players live, so it makes sense in some respects. But I've heard some talks that there's the possibility that it even helps expand the or speed up the ability for a rink to be built down here and the arms race to build a rink down here may, may come into play. And so if they use some of that money and build a separate facility that uh, that houses youth hockey and a training facility for the roadrunners, that even adds solidification. So the, your, your point's a really good one about the money. The owners want to spend this money. They want, I mean, they want it in their pockets, but they also want to be able it's to It's a ton of money, too. Uh, I just divided a th- uh, 650 by 31 owners, and it's just a hair under $21 million. Yep. And um, Tim Gasson, who also works for his star, you know, he was telling me that it costs about 7 to $8 million to build a ring. Yeah. So... Uh, that leaves about twelve million to spare, twelve thirteen million to spare. If they did choose to use some of that money for a rink down here, right? Yeah, Tim, Tim's talk, Tim and I have talked about it too, and that's where I got some of the last part about the potential for them to use some of that money down here. That's what he's said that he thinks is a possibility, and a lot of this is speculation. I don't know to what degree we know the facts are happening in terms of this, but it is interesting to talk about the possibilities that come with it. From oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's totally the thing, and. Here down in Arizona, everything regarding new rinks or whatever, it's all speculation. I talk of Roadrunners fans and Coyotes fans, and, you know, they're all excited that Seattle's getting the team. The expansion money is coming to Arizona, some of the expansion money coming to Arizona. And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe we can get a new practice facility down here, but I'm not going to believe it until a shovel hits the ground. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's the gist of what I'm getting for every fan down here. And, you know, they're still a little frustrated. I did a a special on my other platform, uh, All Sports Tucson, about uh, youth and high school hockey down here. I attended a game. I talked to the people that are running the organization and everything like that. And they were all telling me, you know, for so many years they've been hearing rumors about rinks being built here, there. And uh, they basically said, we're not going to believe anything until that rink is finally open. That's kind of the uh, sense that you get from the local community down right. here. Yeah. Like you said, till shovels in the ground. Well, and how it impacts U of A hockey. I mean, we, we are on a U of A branded platform to some extent here on with Camp Student Radio for Inside the Glass. So mm-hmm. it, it, that's an interesting piece of it, too. And, and, you know, Tim is a great resource on that conversation, obviously, with his role with the U of A hockey team. That is it better or not for a rink to come through the Coyotes or be an external rink? The ability to be a home for the U of A hockey team is part of that discussion and whether or not it will be the right size or fit and who builds that may be, the, may be an effect in that. So there, there's a lot of factors that are going to come into play if this comes to fruition. Well, personally, what I would like to see from a new rink, because, you know, the city of Tucson does its best with the TCC, but they do use it for a lot of events, yeah. other events outside of hockey, as uh, you and Rob both know. And um, what I would personally like to see is a 5,000-seat arena with two practice rinks attached to it. I don't think it's. I, I mean, I think that'd be awesome, but I think that renders the TCC useless for forty nights a year for for what they're getting for hockey. So I I think that'd be great, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think if I saw it, um, don't get me wrong, I love that idea. I think right. a new facility like that would be great. Something on the other side of I ten possibly. Um, I think it's going to be smaller than that, but will it be small, big enough to house home games for U of A hockey so that they're not trying to fill seven thousand seats, so that they have two thousand seats, twenty five hundred seats, rather than. 700 bleacher seats in a typical you know uh, a local building like what ASU is currently playing with with their D1 NCAA team that's a cool facility to some extent because you're seeing Division 1 hockey up at Oceanside Arena 
but it's also too small for NCAA. Well, hockey. Oceanside so, Arena is a youth rink, and yeah. it was built back in the 80s. Right. I played there a lot as a kid because I grew up playing hockey in the Phoenix area, and that building was not built with... Uh, no, and they've done a great yeah. job to keep it to keep it in play for what it is, but you're right. That's exactly way to put it. It wasn't built for that. So the question here is, is would a rink be built at... 600 to 700 seats if you even I don't even know if it's that many but bleacher seats essentially a local rink facility or would it be built to house other events like 20 some odd 30 some odd U of A hockey games a year that don't have to fill in those dates at the TCC and then the TCC becomes open even more because they're not using it for practice so they can go rent out more nights not that they stop anyway right now in addition to the 33 or 34, I think, home games for the Roadrunners. Maybe a couple U of A games end up at the TCC, big games and later in the season games and so forth. So all of a sudden, you, everyone has won a little bit. But uh, but we'll see if, if, if that's what comes to fruition. See, but what a lot of people really want down here, and I hear this again from everybody else, is they want something at least to allow public skating too. Right. Obviously. Well, and that's what a, I think that's what a two rink facility like Eric's talking about would do, is you'd have a facility devoted strictly to higher level practice usage so whether that's roadrunners and they may allow um you know u of a to use it i don't know if they would or not but or even if they don't you have their rink for practice and then you have a second rink which is for u of a youth hockey and public skating well and public skating isn't that often i mean it's maybe it's not even every night of the week so you're talking about only a handful of hours i mean you know this robbie from scheduling a radio station for 24 hours seven days yeah. a week there's certain hours that just aren't going to be used but so th- th- i think that's that's definitely in the cards with whichever situation opens up. Well, have you ever been up to the uh, Ice Den in Scottsdale? Because mm-hmm. I think that that would be a really good model, too. Yeah. they got three rinks at the Ice Den in Scottsdale. None of them are really rinks where you'd have like a college team or even like a junior team playing, but it definitely would give the uh, youth programs, the high school programs, all of that a well, lot that, of opportunity. And the third rink up there is the, is, the, is the convertible rink. They can do, in the summer, they could do other stuff. So there's a possibility that that may even play into the... Um, into the uh, the Sugar Skulls, the indoor football league team, having a practice facility in the off season or or during the week. If there's that third facility to sort of that can convert, because the ice den will pull will basically pull the. I think they pull the ice up. I mean, yeah, essentially the they, they melt it down yeah. and, and turn it into the to the lacrosse and indoor soccer and all that stuff. So. Well, the best rink that I've ever been to that's kind of similar to what you're talking about is the Troy Sports Center in Troy, Michigan. Um, my family's from out there, so I've skated out there, everything like that. They got two floors, six rinks, but two of them are convertible, like you're saying. So mm-hmm. they'll do indoor lacrosse there. They'll do indoor football. They'll do stuff like that, or arena soccer even. Um, but I don't think Tucson's big enough of a market to support something like that, you know? But, yeah. Two sheets could be a possibility if it ends up saving time at the convention center, which then ultimately brings the city into the mix to potentially gain more money by renting out more dates there so they could actually be a player in this too to potentially. So, yeah, I, I, I think a three-sheet three facility would be awesome. And, and the ice state is what I was talking about earlier when I said where the Coyotes have their training facility. Right. They do spend a lot of time in Glendale uh, at their home arena practicing, but when they are in more of a longer home stretch, they'll practice up in Scottsdale. But the problem is just the distance. So um, it's, it's even though, again, that's where a lot of the guys live so that could be an interesting play of where this money goes to is is whatever comes from the expansion and how they decide to spend it but i tim was the person who kind of turned me on to that idea that they might spend a little bit down here and and um i i'm not opposed i I think it'd be it'd be fascinating to see that break ground in sometime in the next year oh yeah and i could definitely see i mean definitely see it happen the next year probably even two more more likely 
But again, I mean, three sheet ice would be uh, yes, three sheets of ice would be nice. Um, it is it going to be extremely possible? No, but it could definitely help well, a lot more. I think that two sheets is the absolute minimum because if you look at the rinks that are built up in the Phoenix area, the only ones that are just a single sheet of ice are Arcadia and Oceanside, and those were all built like pre-mid-1980s. The little bit I know about it, and I don't want to act, but from talking to the people who own those rinks and who ha- who would love to have expanded at various times is that if you're building it from scratch and you can do multiple sheets of ice, that's the time to do it. It's going to be significantly better cost from a cost standpoint to do it at the front end, but it's also less to operate to than to build two separate rinks separately at different times. So for example, if they come in building, if they know somewhere down the line they might want to, it's cheaper to put two in now because you can use the same pumping systems, the same cooling systems to power both. And I I would think they'd have to, Eric. I mean, I think to your point, they would would have to do it right away. And and what Rob's saying too. And even to save costs, like a lot of, except for the ice in Scottsdale, a lot of the rinks up there that have two sheets like for example the ice and chandler mm-hmm. um there's one rink that that was generally used as the practice rink you know for public skating and all that that had no stands no bleachers nothing and then uh there's another rink that does have stands and does have things like that so you could potentially see a model like that where there's one rink that's pretty much dedicated just to practice stick time uh free skate all that and then one that actually does have the bleachers and does have all that stuff for uh games that people are actually going to be attending right yeah yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, um, and there, you, you've seen situations like that where either um, even like we're talking when you're like t- looking at the minor league teams that they might uh, go and collaborate with also the college team. So if you can see the U of A put pitching a little bit of money and like on their own side, try to figure it out and try to bring th- these extra sheets of ice too, it could definitely. Well, that all comes down to the AD, though, down here. And one thing I will say about the Coyotes organization is they've made mistakes in the past, many of them. We all know that. But one thing that I think they always did right from the get-go when they arrived in Phoenix in the 90s was sponsoring and supporting the growth of youth hockey. You know, they played a really big role in helping uh, ASU become a D1 team. So I'd have a hard time imagining the organization not collaborating with... uh, the uh, UVA hockey program in terms of uh, growing everything for them. The I I think they'd collaborate. I think the tough part is that right now there's too much. I don't want to say fight, but there's too much need for time at TCC. So what's funny is that there's sort of this, you know, we'll stick in our corner, we'll stick in our corner mentality right now down here between the college market and the pro market. I'm not even talking about youth right now, but um, but I don't know. I think that's what, depending who, who opens it up, I think that's what could actually open this up is that they won't have to be necessarily competing for market share, competing for audience, any of that stuff. The, uh, the youth game down here is interesting because, uh, you know, and I... I you know, covering the Roadrunners has been great. That the people have been great. So this is not a knock on anyone attached to the franchise. But I think that the local hockey scene was giving a little bit of lip service when the Roadrunners announced they were coming down here because everyone got excited and everybody said this is great. And of course, they loved it, the game, so they want to watch it. But anyone who knew the schedule at the TCC even remotely had to start wondering oh shoot how is this going to work because you already have youth teams playing at odd hours you have you know adult leagues in the, literally the middle of the night there already wasn't enough ice time and yet you're adding 34 home games plus preseason plus practices and everything else it, it was 
a scary proposition, but yet everybody kind of threw their eggs into that basket knowing they didn't really have a choice. So to give the Roadrunners credit and to give the Coyotes credit, I think they've been cognizant of that to some degree publicly. But behind the scenes, we'll see how it turns out with what they end up deciding to do and, and how they end up deciding to collaborate, not just with the youth programs, but also with the college program. It's not like this is some fleeting thing either. You know, Grand Canyon's got a college program that's been around a handful of years. And, you know, but, but ASU and U of A not taking, taking out of out of conversation the D1 program at ASU although we can't because that's why they have a D1 program it's not just because they won one ACHA national title it's because they had 30 some odd years of successful operations of a high level ACHA club team quote unquote well so is Arizona I mean maybe different leadership obviously over the years but um, you know from the old uh, Leo Golombieski days to now but um, but Arizona's had this program for going on 40 years they're not just going to go away and so I, I'm really curious to see how how this plays out and whether it is connected like we said not to keep going back to it but to our original conversation about the Seattle expansion whether that money ends up playing a role because that could open up so many doors both here and in the valley no absolutely but I think that the big difference in Tempe too is that the infrastructure for supporting a team is just so much better up in the Phoenix area than it is down here there's just no contest there's six public rinks up in Phoenix plus Gila River Arena plus US Airways Center which up until the late 2000s was hosting ECHL hockey um, their own Roadrunners. <laughs> yeah, their own Roadrunners. It was San Jose Sharks affiliate. <clears throat> but on that note, Brett, there's actually a question I'd really like to ask you. Yeah. And uh, I have some pretty strong thoughts on it, but what are you, what's your opinion of the Roadrunners and the Coyotes organization choosing to build all these deck rinks and them marketing it as, oh, we're growing the game, you know, we're introducing kids to the game and things like that. Because I personally don't think it's adequate, but I'm just curious what you think. I think that we have to look at it from... there's two different perspectives to see it there's the perspective of are they growing the game in terms of people playing the game or are they growing the game in terms of trying to grow a fan base and if they can build deck rings let's just say for Tucson for example I think there's is there two down here or one there's There's one one. and there's talk of more um they're doing that with coyotes and roadrunners branding and color schemes and equipment and all the things that are tied to that for the purpose of getting people in the rink to buy tickets and become fans of those teams. And they're bringing players out to do, you know, meet and greets and training sessions and little things like that for the purpose of selling tickets and creating a fan base. A fan base is completely different than growing the game from a player perspective. And it's a really delicate balance because this isn't like basketball, where if you have an NBA team or Prescott having a a G League team, you can market it to the kids in the schools and they can pick up a basketball and go shoot on the uh, on their on the school ground or on the playground or their driveways it's not the same thing and every other even even sports that are are otherwise expensive of the major sports the you know baseball which does have a good amount of equipment for example football it's not the same you can't just pick up a ball and throw it around yes someone could grab a hockey stick and put it in their driveway and shoot but it doesn't have the same cachet and and never has so i think that's the question so i'm i'm with you on the sense that i don't think it does much to alleviate the problems we're talking about in fact i think it all it does is potentially increase them because if beyond the fan base they do happen to grow the game through this deck hockey initiative down in an area like this they're going to need more ice anyway because right. those kids are going to want to actually put on skates and play in real organized leagues and so that's real organized ice leagues i mean i know there's organized yeah. deck leagues so that's actually the interesting potential fallout is that if it works beyond what I think they're expecting it to, it actually will require them to invest in the other areas. I don't know if Phoenix needs another rink at this time. I mean, the rinks are packed, but they're also, 
healthy, which is good. Another facility could potentially be problematic. We all, as we just talked about for a half hour, we absolutely need it down here in Tucson I, if this game's going to stay alive. You know, I think that in Phoenix, they need another one in the West Valley because all they really have yeah. out there is uh, Peoria. Right. And Phoenix is pretty much divided into East and West Valley. They got five rinks in the East Valley. I don't think you really need more out there. But uh, for the kids out in the West Valley, you know, the Glendale, Peoria, Avondale kids, they need uh, one more, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, that's a really interesting perspective on that. And, um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. But it, to me, I wonder, you know, that money, could it be spent or put away and banked to continue to work toward building an ice facility? That included, you know, deck rinks. I know their initiative, though, is tied to schools primarily. So, I mean, they wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily be where an ice rink would go, obviously. But, um but yeah, I, I totally see where I think you're getting at is, is could the money have been spent in other ways and it wouldn't be enough, but could it be a starting point? And maybe that will, maybe that'll be moot with, with the Seattle situation, bringing, bringing funds to all these teams. Speaking of Seattle too, obviously, you know, in the next, you know, next few years, once they expand, you know, since we're down here in Tucson, Tucson, you know, being a uh, team in the American Hockey League, the uh, there's probably going to be expansion in the American Hockey, Hockey League too. You got to try to even that out. Um, Brett, you were talking about this before we went live. Is you know you got uh, you got a pretty good idea, and I think the rest of us might agree on this of where a potential American Hockey League team for expansion can come in to play. Well, I, I think there's a couple options. Portland seems logical um, since it's not going to have an NHL team, and it seems logical they'd want it. They have the Moda Center, they have the old Veterans Coliseum that the Portland Winterhawks, the WHL junior team, plays at and draws pretty decent. I mean, they'll they'll draw, um, you know, sometimes in the five figures on on occasion, but uh, but they draw pretty well considering that Portland is in, is a large scale market relative to the amount of pro sports it has. Um, I also think there's another weird one, and and the color of the jersey you're wearing here that nobody can see is kind of the example of that. I mean, in San Jose, you've got the Sharks and the Barracuda playing out of the same building. That's not ideal and may actually change at some point if they decide with how big the bay is to put the Barracuda somewhere else, you know, within a 50-mile radius of of where they are right now to try and just continue to expand. But Kent Washington's an interesting place. I mean, it's 30 miles from where Key Arena is, um, I think 27 miles, if something like that, more or less between downtown Seattle and the SeaTac airport, so between Seattle and Tacoma and SeaTac, which is the city, and um, houses a junior team there that draws in the five to six thousand, or, or draws about four to five thousand in a six thousand seat rink. So it's quite possible they try something like that and keep them right up there in the Seattle area. But I think we also got to look at, and I'd be I'd be really interested in asking Adrian Denny. He's the play-by-play guy and uh, media director for the Roadrunners. What he thinks about this because he actually came from um, Salt Lake City. Which with their ECA with the ECHL team that's there, I, Salt Lake City is an interesting dynamic to me. I, I think we're still in this weird place where there's some teams that don't have this geographical connection to their their AAA team. Chicago is the AAA affiliate of Vegas, and yet Rockford, Illinois, which is not far from Chicago, is the Blackhawks AAA affiliate. So there's all these kind of weird connections. So it wouldn't shock me if we see some combination of Salt Lake City, Portland, and a second Seattle area uh, location. The only problem with the second Seattle area location is they're going to want to build every single fan coming down to where Key Arena is when that team comes into play. They're not going to want to have a segmented fan base oh, well, we're closer to the team in Kent. We'll go see them play. So I, I see that as a long shot, but... I think the other the other potential problem with that would be now you've got three teams there, of course, that new Seattle NHL team. The and, AHL and the team, junior team. Yeah, and the Thunder. Well, so don't forget Everett. 
Everett's right there right. too. And the silver tips. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, that's well, a great point. There's two junior team, big high level junior programs in in that area. Yeah, exactly. And well, you got to remember too that Vancouver's affiliate is out in Utica, New York. So I oh, I didn't know that. I, Are they still out there? Yeah, the Utica yep. Comets. I had no idea that was still the case. That, that is was still years the case. Ago. I completely forgot. That is still the case. Um, and I personally don't think that Seattle's going to get anything close to a local affiliate. I personally think they're going to go for more of a setup similar to like what Edmonton and Calgary have, where Edmonton has their affiliate in Bakersfield, right. California. Calgary's got it in Stockton. Um, in my two ideal markets for expansion in the in the uh, AHL specific division are Fresno, California, and Prescott, Arizona. I actually think that Prescott, Arizona would be a good location for future for Vegas. Vegas Golden Knights affiliate yeah. because that's about a three-hour drive from Vegas. Once I-11 comes in, it's going to be shorter. And um, it would give the Roadrunners more of a local rival. Will well, um, I-11 have a connection to get to Prescott? Uh, it'll go like right by like Wickenburg and okay. all that. So you so cut back. Uh, you would okay. cut back, but it's still... But it will still shorten it. No, you're right. Yeah, it'll still shorten it. I mean, Vegas and Arizona are only going to be... I mean, Vegas and Phoenix, sorry, are only going to be like three and a half hours apart once I-11 does get complete. Um, I mean, that's on a bad day, that's that's San Diego to Ontario yeah. for this league. Yeah, so. Exactly. Which, on another note, is why it doesn't make sense to remove Arizona from the SoCal teams and Vegas in the Pacific Division, the NHL, but that's a different topic. Um, but yeah, that's personally what I think would happen with Seattle if they wanted a team in the Pacific Division. I could see more of a city like Fresno getting it or uh, Vegas moving their... Or Vegas getting an expansion because I don't think uh, Chicago is going to leave the Chicago area. Like that's a proven AHL market. They right. actually have like media deals and things like that. So I don't think the Wolves are going to go anywhere. But could they attach to a different team at some point? And that's right. where I think maybe you would attach them to Seattle. Maybe because you know how Colorado got that expansion franchise, and everyone thought that Vegas would get the expansion franchise in the AHL, but Colorado ended up getting it and putting their affiliate in Loveland, Colorado. So perhaps you could see Vegas get that expansion franchise in the AHL. Put it somewhere like Prescott or even like Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, Reno wouldn't be a bad one either. Reno, the issue I, th- I think is the facility. I mean, they've got a basketball arena for UNR, but I don't think other than that they have a facility that could house it unless they tried to do something interesting and make it connected to the old Olympic Village and stuff like that. True, um, true. Right. There's not an arena there anymore. I mean, that's been torn down for decades, but to Upper Squaw Valley is and stuff. But I, I don't know if they would go. My personal place. favorite for Vegas, though, is absolutely Prescott, Arizona. Well, uh, the facility was built for it. The old CHL right. is really interesting. The Central Hockey League was based in Glendale, interestingly enough, five minutes from where the Coyotes played. Um, and they their MO was actually, they were a construction company that happened to own a hockey league. <laughs> they built arenas for for towns of mid to small to mid to, to mid-large size. They built, I want to say they built Ontario. Uh, they built um, uh, Prescott. They built Loveland. All these different facilities we're talking about, they were the ones who actually built those buildings and oh by the way we'll give you a hockey team when you build it uh, when, when you give us the money for the land and stuff so that's how Prescott really came into play and the Sundogs came in and immediately started winning and ironically that's the funny thing about about the the uh, Colorado Eagles and playing the the Roadrunners and you know really you know having their number the first two times they played and I think they're here next week actually um, is that that franchise is only in its first year after moving from the ECHL the only uh, 
they lost in the Roadrunners' second season. I'm sorry, in the Sundogs' second season, the Sundogs beat them for the CHL championship, the Ray Myron Cup. And so, anyway, just there's weird connections across the board to Arizona hockey with with the, that Colorado team. But the, they'll to get back to the point, the the CHL was actually building rinks and then added teams. The Allen Americans in Texas, a lot of these teams were built for that, were, were brought on board for that purpose, and the CHL ended up going under and merging with the ECHL a few years ago. So that facility's ready. It's it's waiting for it, and it does doesn't hurt it that there's actually a, it actually helps the potential that there's as weird as it sounds even though the potential segmented fan base i think it helps that the sun's g league team is up there because a packed house is going to be get more attention and more opportunity for sponsorship and upgrades and bringing in the potential of that entire northern part of the state as as supporters of those two teams so i i think it'd be interesting i think they want to be near airports to some extent um not that they all are in the central part of California. Bakersfield's not directly close, but I would be shocked if if Fresno got one. Is that that was that's what you said, right? Yeah, that's one that people always bring up because it's a relatively big city in central California. But they're not it, far from Stockton. They're not no. terribly far from Bakersfield. They're definitely not that far from San Jose. That's what I wonder if they're if it's just I could potentially see even though how uh, attendance numbers aren't bad, but I could potentially see San Jose moving the uh, um, Barracuda moving the Barracuda there. And for the purpose of owning the Northern California marketplace. But well, I th- I think that San Jose should put their uh, AHL team in San Francisco mm-hmm. at like the Cow Palace or something, or even in Oakland at Oracle Arena once the uh, Warriors leave, because the Warriors are getting a new facility, then that arena is going to be empty. Right. So perhaps the Sharks could throw the Barracuda in Oakland. I mean, I do know the uh, yeah, Oakland that's I do know the Oakland A's baseball team wants to kind of use that Oracle Arena as an event center. Maybe they can. Yeah, they want to. They want to. We we we're going to do tear that. down the Coliseum and build that into an outdoor area, and then use the use the the uh, the arena as a concert venue and event center. So maybe it would. Yeah, so maybe it can house the American Hockey League Barracuda there, and so it's that's another. Well, it's not a new concept to have AHL teams in old NBA arenas. I mean, uh, the Valley View uh, Casino Event yep. Center, the one out oh, in San Diego, the old San Diego Sports Arena. Yeah, yeah. that that's used the Clippers. That about used, yeah. Right. San Diego Clippers well, used and, to play and, there. To Eric's point about contracts in Chicago and things like that, San Diego is a fascinating market for how big of a city it is. I mean, they, they have local TV deals. They're on local public television down there. I mean, we couldn't fathom that happening with the Roadrunners here, even though we don't have other pro sports in Tucson, per se. Uh, but they have a local, I want to say it's Channel 5, whatever that is, down in San Diego airs most of the games uh, for the for the San Diego well, goals. Which San is, Diego is such an interesting sports market because it's far away enough from L.A. where it's a distinct market for sure Mm -hmm. and uh, you know the Chargers just left and all you have left are the Padres and the Padres season and the goal season for the most part does not overlap and you're dealing with a metro area of about three and a half million people that's I looked it up one time that's what I recall it being Um, so I'm not surprised at all that San Diego has that much media exposure and kind of off what you're saying I think that it would be a good idea for the Roadrunners to potentially try to get a TV deal with a local team. I know that because I talked to Tom Callahan, the old uh, play-by-play mm-hmm. guy for the Roadrunners, about this last season. He was telling me that the big problem with that is with uh, video deals and with TV deals, it requires so much more equipment and so much more staff, and it's just so much more expensive for the team to actually broadcast the games on TV. Which is why some people, like some, you see some teams just getting rid of two different teams and you're having the radio team and the TV team essentially doing the same thing. They're just together and they just like attach the radio feed to the 
Uh, well, and, that, and, and it it's now. changed the way that the games are called to some extent. I mean, it's easier to attach a radio feed to TV than the other way around, obviously, because right. of the amount of detail that goes into to calling the play. But um, but the simulcast, I mean, the simulcast is not an old concept. I mean, the Lakers, I know it's a different sport, but the Lakers did it for a long time. The LA Kings did it for a long time. Bob Miller and Nick Nixon were a partnership doing Kings broadcasts on radio and TV back in the 70s. And then when they finally decided they were going to split them off, Bob Miller took TV, Nick Nixon took radio, and here you have two Hall of Famers on the same franchise on two different markets. So it's not its not like it's a new thing. It's just interesting with how much visual detail we have on television now that teams would go to that. But like you said, there's a cost element to it. There's a travel element well, aspect of it. Here's the other thing, too. I don't Especially th- at a AAA level. We're not talking about the, the, profe- the, the major league level of sports. But Well, here's the other thing, too, that I just thought of. AHL TV already broadcasts the games. Mm-hmm. And they just attached the radio feed to the audio for uh, the uh, AHL TV right. games. And you know, if the Roadrunners were to broadcast games, it doesn't need major league production level quality. You know, it just doesn't. So I, what I don't think it would be necessarily a bad thing if they just broadcasted exactly what they already do on AHL TV on local television. You know, because I mean, they're already recording the games for AHL TV. They're already broadcasting the games for AHL TV, and I really wonder how much of an extra step it would be just to put that on TV. I don't know. Yeah, I think the qual- I think it, I've seen only a couple on a couple of occasions. It's not often, and this, so this is not a knock on the AHL TV quality because I'll I'll pick up the road games um, and it, and they're fine. I think they're great, um, but I have seen a couple of times where the feeds just die, and whether it's internet issues, things like that, because we're talking about strictly going over right. internet um, rather than hard coax cable. Um, so that would be the only potential issue I see is that is the technology there in the facilities and. To be fair, as much as they've done some incredible things, you get into the bowels of TCC, it's an older building. Oh, yeah. And so is that prepared to handle something like that? Well, the Coyotes had to pump something like $15 into it before it was suitable for the Roadrunners to play in. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it is a really old building. I mean, Gordy Howe visited the the rink back in the day when there used to be a minor league team for uh, the WHA. So just to give you some perspective on how old that barn is. um, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I think on that note, um, so let's see, we're at, so at 3.40 right now, mm-hmm. um, so why don't we go ahead and move on to the kind of just like the evaluations right now in the NHL. We're about a third of the way through the season now, so, you know, things are going by pretty fast. So you're starting to get a pretty good perspective on what it's a lot of, what, how, how these NHL teams are playing. So probably let's start with probably... Say like some of the top three teams have surprised you guys, or have just impressed, or just impressed you in, in that matter. Well, I can definitely start off about talking about the uh, Red Wings because I was watching them play their game against uh, Toronto last night. They ended up winning five four in OT, and you know I'm a Wings fan. I follow the team. I p- really pay attention to them and everything. And I thought, like many people, that they would just be not that good this year, especially considering the loss of Henrik Zetterberg and all that. Um, but they are one point out of a playoff spot right now. They played really well. They looked really good against uh, Toronto yesterday. Uh, so they're a huge surprise. Buffalo is a huge surprise also. They're pretty much a lock for a playoff spot at this point. Um, and then another big one for me is um, how badly L.A. has played, obviously. People have talked about that extensively on all sorts of uh, media platforms for hockey, but those are really the three for me. Uh, Buffalo, Detroit, how well they're playing, and then how bad L.A. is. You, you stole my you stole my shtick. I was going to go with on a negative standpoint exactly what you're saying. It, it, it blows my mind. <clears throat> 
and maybe it shouldn't. I, I guess it's part of the the parody and part of salary cap era and all the things we're dealing with that. Um, to see Chicago and LA as bad as they are and in bad a shape as they are and, and the franchises as, in as disarray as they are. And it doesn't mean completely, but just coaching changes over the last couple of seasons and this year specifically with Chicago midseason. And, and you're getting rid of championship level coaches who don't have a lot of talent to work with. Um, I know there's a couple of guys on each team, but they're just, there's not the depth in those two franchises and they mortgaged everything to win a couple of times. I mean, they're mm-hmm. the two most successful teams in the last decade, obviously with three and two cups. Blackhawks have three or four? Three. They have three. three. And the Kings have two. That it's, it's really interesting to see them at the bottom of the barrel. I think your pick on Buffalo is interesting. I'm always surprised when I see a Calgary do as well as they are right now, even yeah, though yeah. this has been building for a few seasons for them. Um, it definitely surprises me. Um, I, uh, I, I think the other surprise is no surprise, meaning that it really is the suspects we all expected. You have Washington, the defending champs, right there. You have uh, Tampa Bay. You have Toronto, like you said. Um, the, Nashville. All these teams have been there and are expected to be there. So we're in there. We're still in the midst, just like we had with Chicago and LA. I think we're still in the midst of those four or five teams. And Toronto, I guess, is the one that hasn't been there yet, but is getting there, obviously, with the young, the young talent they have. Um, we're in the midst of that few years run that those teams are probably going to have before they fall off the table and end up like Chicago and LA does and then you see Chicago and LA bounce back up to the top well, in 5 or 10 years especially so. in Chicago's case like mm-hmm. on uh, building off of what you were saying about Toronto you know having a couple year window here coming up uh, the thing that really killed Chicago was all their cap issues you know having to lock up Kane and Taves for what they did uh, they just didn't have the amount of money that they used to for supporting cast around those players and you're really seeing the effects of that this season and last season and uh, Toronto, as everyone knows, their cap situation is looking extremely, extremely questionable going forward. I mean, Mitch Marner, uh, last I saw, was fourth in league scoring. He's an RFA next year. Austin Matthews is obviously a franchise player. He's an RFA next year. And both of those guys should be making above $10 million yeah, a and season. It's going gonna, it's gonna to handcuff them so bad, if, so they bad. Can't, if they can't start seeing young players step up and play now. I mean, meaning like next year when those guys get locked up, they're going to need five or six players that we haven't, haven't heard of come out of nowhere. Oh, and yeah. and that's tough. I mean, I know it happens, and there has to be a team that wins it every year. But but that's, I think, what was interesting to me, not to go too far backward, but about Washington winning it, is is they were doing it with established talent. It was just finally their turn. And um, who who else can they kind of take that throne this year? I'm not I'm not quite sure, but it's uh, next season. I think you're right, especially with those two guys in Toronto and what some of these other teams are going to have to do to match that is going to be really really interesting. Well, I think that a player that's actually going to get an offer sheet submitted on him is Kasperi Kapanen because he's also an RFA. He played really well in the absence of William Nylander, really benefited from the extra ice time from the uh, better line mates in Nylander's absence. And um, they just, obviously, they just signed Nylander. We don't know how they're going to keep Nylander's contract plus signing those two guys that we just mentioned. And then where does that put Kapanen? Kapanen has been playing really well. He's a really good young player with a lot of potential. And another GM in the league could say, okay, look at what this guy did when he got the better minutes in Toronto. Um, Why don't we submit an offer sheet on him? Let's see how he does on our power play. Let's see how he fits into our top six. We know that Toronto won't be able to match it. And um, then that just dilutes the supporting cast for the Maple Leafs. Right. I mean, that's totally the thing. I mean, like, uh, everyone talks about this every year in terms of cer- some teams running the cap as they as they do. And, you know, Toronto being a perfect example of that is right now is they're built to win now. And down the road, 
that's when it's definitely going to hurt them. Chicago was a suspect of that. Los Angeles was a suspect. I mean, in Chicago's favor, they were able to do it for a six-year period of time, which is incredible. But you're right that they were built to win now and and just managed to now managed to last for three extra seasons. And and and, and of course, another example of a team that's doing that now is San Jose. They're built to win now, and they're like they're trying as hard as they can to do that. Years down the road, are they going to be as good as they are? Absolutely Probably. not. Exactly. The only thing with San Jose, I'll say, though, in, in defense of San Jose, is that they've been in this exact position three other times and managed to continue, whether it's in goal, whether it's with goaltending, whether it's whatever, managed to find some sort of ability to replace it. Can you go to that well too many times? I don't know. But from a franchise development standpoint, now the problem is they haven't gotten over the top. So has it been worth it? I'm not sure. It's been, it, it's probably for someone like you, Rob, well, it's, it's kept your interest. I think one of the problems is... Cause you haven't ever had them be bad for a long time. I mean... Yeah, no, we never, we've never seen that. But I think one of the problems is now is, of course, now that we're seeing the age of long-term contracts locking up guys to six seven eight years and it's probably going to hurt them especially because like, you don't know how six long. seven eight years geez back in my day when you had the islanders signing guys to like 14 year deals like no i'm kidding <laughs> yeah i mean but that's just what the league is these days you know agents around the league will see that guys are getting locked up for this amount of money for this many years and then they're going to go to every gm in the league when they're negotiating and say okay look nylander got this drysidel got this for this much his production was that so my players should get a similar long-term deal with a similar salary and um i'm just not sure how you ever could break that cycle and go back to shorter term contracts you know with less long-term commitment from teams um but like building off of what you guys were saying about san jose and um how they've found ways just to stay competitive even when people were kind of expecting them to fall off i think that an even more perfect example of that are the detroit red wings because people really expected them to drop off and just fall off the face of the earth once guys like fedorov and uh eiserman retired but it ended up they ended up uh, scoring huge on late round draft picks in pavel Dotsuk and henrik zetterberg and they ended up being competitive again and winning another cup and over the course of a decade when those guys were the big guys in detroit um but it has to end at some point. That's what I'm working towards here with San Jose because for the Red Wings, obviously, it did end. Now you don't know when the Red Wings are going to be contenders again. It could be 10 years, could be 20 years, could be 5 years. We don't know. Um, but that, eventually that is going to happen to San Jose. You know, they're just not going to score on those draft picks. It happened to Detroit. Um, that's just what the road ahead looks like, in my opinion. And I think, I, I think the thing is you see... Um, as long as you get general managers that continue to make the right decisions, because these general managers, um, at least gen- at least the Sharks general manager has been around since '03. Uh, Doug Wilson has, and I think that's one of the reasons why the Sharks have always been one of the m- more competitive teams. Did his son play hockey here at U of A? I, I believe he did. Interesting. I, b- I believe his son in the in the mid mid to late 2000s played here at U of A. Could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty certain he did. I. As in Doug Wilson Jr.? I don't know what his name was. I don't remember. But I remember it was tied to Doug Wilson. I'm going to find it. But, yeah, I mean, Doug Wilson, you know, has been the uh, mastermind for the Sharks behind numerous trades, for trade that brought Joe Thornton to San Jose, for trade that got him that got the Sharks draft picks that allowed him to get Joe Pavelski, to get uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. Getting trading away Jonathan Chichu to get um, Danny Heatley, you know, who was supposed to be the, you know, a superstar at the time. Getting Brett Burns. Getting 
uh, Evander Kane, Eric Carlson. Like, yeah, I mean, Doug Wilson's definitely one of the upper echelon GMs in the NHL for sure. Uh, as is Ken Holland. I know that a lot of people in the Wings fan base, especially, aren't too thrilled with him lately. But when you get those GMs that have been there for a long time, they've really had a chance to implement their plans and everything like that. You're going to get good results. David Poley in uh, Nashville is another great example. He's been their GM since they expanded to the league back in the early 2000s. No one else has held that post in the history of franchise in in the history of Nashville's franchise except for him. And look at where the Predators are at right now. Um, but kind of on a different note, one thing that I want to ask uh, Brett before we go off the air in about 11 minutes here is uh, his thoughts on. Arizona being moved to the Central Division potentially once Seattle joins the league. They even said, um, I was reading Elliot Friedman's uh, report on it on TSN, uh, they said that the NHL Board of Governors is open to them making changes over the next three years and not going forward with that plan in the future, but what are just your preliminary thoughts on that happening if it did? I think it creates... It's tough. There's some benefits to it. Um, the Chicago connection is an interesting one. Getting Chicago here for as many home dates as would end up in Arizona. Um, if I'm not mistaken, right? I'm not looking at a... No, yeah, you're absolutely um, right. Now I'm having second guesses. Same division. Right. I, I think that's a big part of it. I think some of those Midwest teams, the connections that fans have here. I mean, I, I can recall going to you know spring training games and seeing going to the White Sox or the Dodgers down on the east side uh, or on the west side and then heading over to a Coyotes Blackhawks game and there's more Blackhawks fans there than Coyotes and they're selling out 17,000 seats in Glendale and I'm the same thing happens with when the Cubs play the Diamondbacks I mean to that to that extent if the Blackhawks are competitive and that's just one example. It, it would it would carry over with St. Louis, some of these other teams too. I I think that there could actually be a real interesting dynamic to attendance that would actually go up in Glendale. But in otherwise, I think it's problematic. I think when you have teams within 500 miles, multiple teams. I mean, three, three. teams, and yet you're not going to have any of them in the same division. That's a problem within driving distance right. too. And keep in mind, like people always cite, you know, Arizona being in the Mountain Time Zone. That's not exactly correct. Half the year half the year half the year less than half actually because there's more time in the year in america where we're on daylight savings time than not so for a majority of the year arizona is actually really in the pacific time zone but uh kind of off what you're saying uh that thing with the attendance you know with getting more blackhawks fans getting more fans like that in the arena is only relevant i think if they're in glendale because if the True. Coyotes True. actually get that's a great point. If the Coyotes actually get a rink in the East Valley or downtown, that's going to be less relevant. When the Coyotes moved here in the late '90s, um, there was a survey done in the Phoenix area among Phoenix area sports fans. The Coyotes were not the most popular team in the Phoenix area, but they were the number one second favorite team. So, like when they surveyed fans, they would say, "Okay, so you're a Suns fan, but your second favorite teams the Coyote are the Coyotes. You're a Diamondbacks fan, but your second favorite teams the Coyotes." So the Coyotes had a immense popularity when they were playing downtown and they were extremely popular in the valley they were successful too for many years for a three or four year period of time which i think is part of the problem is we've seen one-offs in glendale i I still think that if we would have seen a two or three year run that the team had back in 2012 or a two or three year run right when they moved
removed, even though everything was snake bitten from that moment. Not to hijack your point, I, I apologize for that, Eric. It, no, you're good. Everything was snake bitten the minute they moved. I mean, the, the the fact that they moved and almost immediately the league went under a lockout. All those things came in. Meaning, moved to Glendale from downtown. All those right. things have played a factor in in just diminishing any opportunity to gain momentum. Also, the so-called guarantees they had that that portion of Glendale would grow into this dynamic area. And it's it has grown in terms of housing developments and people living there, but it's just not what well, it was promised to it's be. It's not where the fans live. Five of the right. six rinks, as we were mentioning earlier in the show, are in the East Valley, and the right. biggest hockey fans are the people that play it. So you moved away from the majority of the fan base, and you know, I am a Coyotes fan secondarily after my, you know, my allegiance to the Red Wings. And when I was a kid, we would often only go to... Uh, the Coyotes game when the Red Wings visited because my dad just didn't think it was worth driving out to Glendale to watch a Coyotes game that the Red Wings weren't playing in. But if they were in a closer location, we definitely would have gone to more games when I was growing up, without question. And um, I don't think that the the attendance concerns all around are going to be less if they move uh, to a better uh, location within the Valley. And the effect of uh, drawing in fans with visiting teams is going to be a lot less important if they do get a better arena, without question. So I still think that you know moving them to the central and throwing in the point where oh we'll get more visiting fans for Chicago games. Uh, I don't think it's that good of a one because no, I don't think it is either. Yeah. I, I was just saying I think that that's what that are that is some of the benefits. I also think that the reality of it is, and I don't know this. This is just total fandom talking not right. fan of the sport not not any kind of insight but i think the league while doing a ton to keep that team here in arizona over the years obviously and bettman taking a lot on the chin for that he takes it on the chin for a lot of things but especially for this mm. um I think they don't have the capital to go to bat for the Coyotes anymore. I mean, the reality is that they have to be looking at these other outlets and organizations, and they have to put Seattle in the Pacific. So what is the other option? Take two, you know, was it you that was telling me this, Rob? I mean, the other option, take two Canadian teams and moving them? I mean, you're you're talking about, even through mediocrity, two teams that have established fan bases. So the Coyotes have zero leverage. That's very true. In this they're not very rel- they haven't been relevant in the Pacific Division right. since 2012, so you're absolutely right with that about that. They haven't built up the playoff rivalries with the SoCal teams, which they would have if they were more consistently qualifying for the playoffs. Um, it's not that, I mean, on the other hand, you know, you see teams jump divisions and leagues in sports. It's not a precursor for doomsday either. I mean, the Brewers haven't been terrible. I mean, they haven't had great seasons either, but they've been competitive at various points when moving from uh, the uh, American League to the National League. And the other direction, the Astros, you know, not that long, relatively speaking, I mean, a a decade, but not that long after moving from uh, the NL to the AL win the World Series. So, I mean, it's different sport, different situation, but I just, I don't think it's a doomsday thing. Um, I don't think local fans will care that much i don't think you're going to see even though there's a there was a big story about the influx of people moving to the state from southern california i don't think that's going to change all that much no i do think it's interesting and every time we hear the door sort of creaking shut more we talked about this earlier that an expansion team going to seattle helps solidify even more the possibility that this team stays here well all of a sudden you have a coyotes franchise in the central division houston potentially as a market they have a building they've got a 
bajillion people that live in that region. I mean, it, it's it's a really there's really weird dynamics at play that I don't think any of us can really predict what's going to happen. And I think the biggest thing is the Coyotes don't have any fight. They don't have the ability to fight that. And that's not their fault. The current leadership and ownership and everything they've done everything they can, but they just haven't been a relevant franchise competitively to demand that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're going to mess with us. I, I don't think they have anything to stand on. And sadly, this is this is really ironic. Even though they're not that far away, and and maybe geographically further west, you could have made an argument for Vegas because of being an expansion team. If Vegas didn't do what they did last year, Vegas yeah. came in like a stereotypical expansion team and stunk, and was in last place for three or four years while building up draft picks. You could have made that argument that hey, we're going to put Vegas in Seattle's division, and and or I'm sorry, put Vegas in the Central and put Seattle in in, in the Pacific and so forth. But I, I you can't move Vegas now. Not no. that now that not that they're actually now that they're actually one of the players. Well, Vegas is is permanently in the Pacific time zone all year, right? So that makes sense that. too. I get that. Um, but so, what would Rob? What would you? What would you switch to get to get the Coyotes to stay west? And again, it's one of the things besides some of the ideas that I had in the previous one. You know, even splitting up divisions even more. If you want to stick with eight team divisions. Again, moving those Alberta teams over. I know those Alberta teams, both of them said they wouldn't have liked it. Edmonton, they they said they interviewed them. It's like, no, we're not moving to the Central. We want to keep our rivalry with the Canucks. We want to keep our rivalry with the Sharks. We want to stay there because we hate, we like we love to hate these guys. And um, but that would have been more viable because you have uh, it's le- it's less of a problem because those teams are permanently in the Mountain Time Zone and. It's not. It's less. Just overall, less of an issue for them moving over, and you, so you move them. You got two more teams in the central. What you, you got to move a team? Well, what them. I don't understand about that argument too, you know, on uh, Edmonton and Calgary's part is that sure they lose the rivalry with Vancouver, but they gain it with Winnipeg. I mean, a very marketable series in the NHL easily could be, you know, Connor McDavid versus Patrick Laine. If you have those two uh, marquee players in the same division. Um, I think that would potentially be good for the league from a media standpoint. But again, their other point was being a rivalry with the California teams because they apparently also, that's their playoff rivalries because the California teams are, you know, always in the playoffs, at least one of them, at least always in the playoffs every year. But um, yeah, if you move the Alberta teams over though, then you have to move one team from the Central over and then obviously that would be Colorado because they're the closest to the California, uh, Vegas, and Arizona. So that would make a much easier uh, travel for most most of the teams in that area. Well, what I like, uh, and Rob and I were talking about this on the podcast on Tuesday, uh, Brett, is that I was I came up with a division alignment where you could keep Arizona with all the California teams. You would still have four eight-team divisions, but you would change the alignment to a Southwest division, a Southeast division, a Northwest division, and a Northeast division. I was thinking well, this exact same thing, but I didn't go to the depths you did of actually breaking it yeah, down. But, yeah, I can list but off I thought, the teams. I thought the exact same idea with the Southwest component. Yeah, I can list off the teams for you really quick. Uh, so the Southwest division would have the three California teams plus Vegas, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, and Nashville. And then the Southeast Division would have the three New York teams plus Washington, Carolina, Florida, Tampa Bay, Columbus. Um, Northwest would be Vancouver, Seattle, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Chicago. And then the Northeast would be Toronto, Montreal, Boston, Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, Pittsburgh, and Philadelphia. 
And uh, what I like about that alignment is that you keep pretty much every relevant rivalry together. You're not splitting up, you know, the Philadelphia teams. You're not splitting up the New York teams. You're not moving Arizona away from the SoCal teams or from Vegas. I mean, when Vegas entered the league, you got to remember, too, before everyone knew how good they were going to be, um, people were saying, like, okay, a great argument for including Vegas in the league is that Arizona will have a natural rival. It's the two desert teams in the league, and it'll be good for the Coyotes. It'll be good for the Golden Knights. Um, but that's largely gone away with how much better uh, the Golden Knights have been in recent history than the uh, Coyotes have been. But, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that alignment? I think I think it's interesting. I think Nashville is still a really weird mess that the league has to deal with, where yeah. it's located geographically and with the division it plays in and the conference it plays in. That's part of it. I mean, Nashville is significantly uh, more positioned to play the Northeast teams, even though they're not in the Northeast, than to play the teams in the uh, in the Southwest or or in in the, the the even the current Central, other than maybe Chicago and so forth. So I think that's part of it, um, the current problem, and and kind of would still be in place with what you're talking about. Because right. I know you didn't do much to move them; you ju- you were just dealing with sort of the Western well, half to get I them was, in play. But I think it's interesting. I think San Jose would stru- would suffer in that market or that situation, even though they're not far from the California teams. The naming, the branding, you'd have to go back to a, a Smythe Norris type situation to to make that work. Which um, you could, which you could, and and just not have it geographic. Um, I think you could go back to. I think you, has anyone ever really analyzed? And and I'm sure it's happened. I'm honestly asking because I haven't dove into it myself, but. Why does it matter if there's an, another team in the Pacific Division? Adjust the schedules accordingly. I mean, people are going to do the math and figure out schedules anyway. Make the Western Conference schedules relative to these teams and put them in that division. But I don't know. I just I know it sounds weird because then you'd be playing less games, but you'd be playing fewer games against those teams proportionately, not right. just the, the teams you care about. You're down to two games against instead well, of Well, what if or, you just got rid of the whole division thing in, entirely and just go and conferences, just go conferences yeah. and just seed them from one to eight within the conference? You could do that. But like in the scenario you're talking about, are you talking about having uh, – Two, uh, nine team Pacific and a seven team Central still uh, maybe and then and and put uh, uh, Phoenix and Vegas as the two teams that have to play more games against the Central okay so you know I, I don't know I mean just for the sake of keeping I, I haven't gone through the math to figure it out but if if each team is playing X number of games right now against their own division they'd lose a game per team instead of all of a sudden moving a team to an entirely different division right so it, it everybody not suffers, but deals with the the reality. Well, there's always a loser in the division alignments. I mean, in the old uh, league that Rob and I grew up in, which was, you know, the uh, 30-team league with uh, five-team divisions, three divisions per per conference, uh, Dallas was really hurting because they were stuck in the Pacific division with the California teams plus Arizona, and they hated that alignment because they had some of the worst travel in the league. And Detroit didn't like being in the West because they were an Eastern time zone team. They got that fixed once Winnipeg moved out, um, once uh, Atlanta moved over to Winnipeg. Um, But, you know, it's really, the division alignments are hard because someone's going to lose. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at here. Just based on the this is the way that the NHL is spread out. You don't you have very right. little in between, so it makes that's what makes it hard. You just have to minimize the losses, and I think that the current scenario there's a lot better they can do than what they're doing with the current scenario. That's kind of my thoughts in one sentence on it. Anyways, um, so we're at 404 right now. But before we close out, um, I kind of wanted to touch both on you know st- some of the stuff that's going on here in the Coyotes organization. Um, so first of all, let's talk about Aiden Hill. 
because um, we talked about it a little bit on Tuesday, but you know he had a couple extra, a couple more games uh, this this last uh, just over the last couple of days. You know, winning I think just earlier this week and then losing last night. He's still really doing well out there. Well, I think I think most importantly, um, no matter how he's doing, I mean he is doing well, and that's maybe part of this, but. Uh, Rant is back on the IR. <laughs> yeah, as of was it this morning? Yeah, this yesterday. Morning. So I saw that this morning. It, it's they're not worried about it. Uh, obviously, they have a player that they're willing to put out there. Um, Kemper's still not back, so I mean, I think right they're they're dealing with. Uh, um, yeah, the Coyotes name? are just in shambles. In what's terms his of name? Uh, who's the, who's the backup right Kemper. now? Kemper. Well, no, isn't it still? Oh, uh, the guy they just picked up on waiver. Who wasn't that bad. He wasn't yeah. good this year, but he had a good year last year. He's actually ah, being. Really I'm drawing a blank on his name too. Um, but anyway, I, I don't. I don't think they're worried about it. I mean, they haven't. They're they're feeling the depth. I think it it affects Tucson more than it affects Phoenix um, in this sense. And the reality is that, and this isn't a knock on Aiden Hill. I mean, I think Aiden Hill is going to be great, and he's huge. First of all, physically. Yeah, he's in five. pads. He's a giant out there, and that's a big part of it. And he can move, um, but he's going to come back to reality a little bit. That doesn't mean he's all of a sudden going to be bad, but he's going to come back to reality a little bit. But I, if I were the Coyotes, would be riding this as long as I could. Why not give give these guys as much of a rest and a break as humanly possible? Get them a hundred percent healthy. Don't force them back into action, and and then eventually Hill will come back down here, and they can figure out what do we do moving forward. Do we want? You know, essentially, th- you know, three goalies like Kemper, Hill, and and Ranta, and be able to and have to figure it out, or do we want to go young uh, and bring Hill up next year, or, or what? But um, that's the whole. It, it's just proof of the depth. I mean, I think I think what happened to, and he's still going to be perfectly fine. But I think what happened to Merrick Madsen is exactly here in Tucson is exactly what the Coyotes have to worry about. Is he got so much praise so fast with those first two games he mm-hmm. had, or first three games? Would he have two shutouts in his second and third game? Yeah, that was, uh, and then all the sudden over the next two games gave up eight goals on 15 shots or something like that i mean some crazy i'm i'm pulling that out of minute, but it that's was some crazy young, number like that that's just young inconsistent goalies like that's exactly how hill was in his first season and yeah. i was covering the roadrunner since their inaugural year and hill would have a night like madsen would you know where he yeah. would just make he would save like 39 pucks only have like one goal against whatever and then the next night they like the opposition would get one early goal on him they'd get in his head and then he'd let up another one and just the whole night was lost from there so I mean, but that's the AHL too. It's all about player development. It's about letting those guys make the mistakes yeah. down here when it matters less, and then hopefully move on to the NHL um, and perform well on the big stage. Well, I think we're seeing a lot of the other movement too is interesting. I mean, seeing the t- couple of times Mermis has been up there, the, the Roadrunners captain, Mario Kempe is up there, Connor Garland's up there. I wrote a story earlier this year about him. He's literally, I mean, there it's very little analysis to say this. He is the smallest player in the NHL as soon as he steps on the ice and. That's amazing because there's there's he 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 talks about how there's some advantages to that. I mean, he has the ability to you know slip slide through through zones better than most guys that are going to take a shoulder. Um, right. But uh, um, there's there's been some interesting movement all season um, from the Roadrunners to, to the Coyotes, and I think good for the organization. It hasn't negatively impacted either side. Um, there's always the worry that you're going to see the the team that's getting taken from struggling, and it it hasn't really happened. I mean, they've had moments of of you know setbacks but for the most part i mean the five game point streak i mean the roadrunners haven't struggled losing these guys so no that's just a testament to the depth and and that this this franchise has i mean they're still hanging around in the pacific yeah. they're they're second in the division right now they won 
last night against uh, San Diego. Eight straight wins over San Diego. Right. And they already took the border trophy. Like this, It's already season. done? It's already done. Yeah. Well, they play fewer games against them this year. A prime example of changing the rivalries, their official rival is Colorado, um, not San Diego anymore. Which doesn't really make that much sense. I mean, it had to because it was the expansion team coming in. But right. it, it, yeah, it's... Uh, so maybe we're all making too much out of this thing with the Coyotes moving divisions. Although you mentioned Detroit. I mean, Detroit moving to the Eastern Conference was really synonymous with their slide downhill over the last I mean, eight it, years or so. It killed the rivalry with Chicago, which Completely. was one of the best rivalries in the league. Um, that's personally what I didn't like. It was really the fan base out there not wanting to. Well, stay killed out. it with Chicago and Colorado, right? And and yeah, no, you're t- and even a little bit with St. Louis, um, with, you know, and just, Nashville, just from a social standpoint. Um, yeah, no, and it, and it, but that's it's it, it's absolutely been parallel with their demise as a franchise. Well, I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with it, but it's it's happened at the same time. Yeah, it has. I mean, that was just the way that the Red Wings were going. They were getting older. They knew that Dodsuk and Zetterberg weren't going to play forever, and now. Now that Dotsuk and Zetterberg are both off the roster, they've fallen. It's, we all kind of expected it, and the same thing would have happened if they stayed in the West. Um, but it was really about the TV scheduling. The fans out in yeah. Michigan didn't like having to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning watching West Coast games. That's kind of what it came down to. Whenever I talked to my relatives out there, that was the number one. So are fans happy about it now? Yeah, fans were extremely happy about it. Like, I remember when it happened, my uncle was saying, like, oh, yeah, great. I get to watch the Red Wings play more because I, you know, I have to get up and work. You know, I never, I didn't think about that with the the Coyotes. I mean, when they, when they're playing Dallas and they're two years, or two, and they're two time zones away. Right. And they're playing in Dallas or in Detroit. Playing on East, oh no, not Detroit, I guess, but Nashville, Nashville Central, or East? Nashville Central. Okay. And I was going to say that that's the big thing that I think makes Nashville such a tricky situation for the league in terms yeah. of where to put them in divisions. Geographically, they're pretty East, but right. if they're in the Central Time Zone, exactly, that that all bets are off at that point. And I think that the most relevant thing for division alignments and for all that in the league these days, because of how much stuff depends on TV revenue, is the time zone. It's all about the start times for the games. And on that point, that it's really going to hurt the Coyotes from TV viewer, from the TV viewership standpoint because if they're playing in Dallas at 7:30 p.m. and it's and it's when they're two hours apart, right? They're, they're going to be a, they're going to it's going to be 9:30 start or no, I mean a 5:30 start. 5:30 yeah. start. People are going to be stuck in traffic. They're going to be home commuting. Well, and the same thing on. the other way. Are those yeah. teams going to be happy playing and seeing their fans? You know, however many games it ends up being five or six a year. I guess less than With that. Pacific but, time zone starts. Right. Yeah. They're adding another half dozen of those to the ones they already have to do, you know, once or twice a season. Exactly. And um, that's what really, really makes it difficult. But, yeah, the Red Wings fans, the entire Red Wings fan base, every single one of my relatives over there was super happy. Other than the Blackhawks rivalry. Other than the Blackhawks rivalry. But they didn't make much of a big deal of it, especially, like, the old-time fans, because Toronto and Detroit used to be a huge rivalry. And one of the top things that I always used to hear them say when I was a kid was, like, oh, we don't play the Leafs enough, we don't play the Canadians enough. Um, and if we move conferences, then great. We get that rival. We get those two rivalries back. Sure, we lose Chicago. But well, you also get an extra back. game, right? An extra game with New York, an extra game with Boston. Those aren't so big. It was more, but, but it still it still brings that original six component Absolutely. back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I guess we should just go one final. We didn't. We didn't let you talk much, Rob. Yeah. yeah sorry. I, mean, I just kept. I just kept listening. I mean, you're, you're a good, you're a good you traffic cop. I appreciate you letting me come on board and steal nah, your thunder. Now nah, you guys. You got. You guys are going through a good conversation. I didn't want, like. 
want to try to go too much in, in, into that. But um, I think one thing I just kind of want to talk on finally before we get before we kind of wrap things up is, of course, you know, the Roadrunners coming up in this final in this weekend here. Uh, they're again, as we mentioned, they're second in the Pacific Division. They got two games coming up against both Ontario. I believe they lost to Ontario earlier this week. I think like on was it on Sunday. So it's going to be interesting to see them now. They're coming to Tucson. Um, I know you're going to be at the game tonight, Brett. Um, wh- like, what are you you expecting from Tucson tonight? I think it's interesting because this is the one team that's kind of had their number more than anyone else this year. I mean, they've had issues with um, with uh, Stockton and was able to come back after that. They've had issues with uh, San Jose, but um, but this this team has kind of snake bitten them a couple of times lately. They had a um, I want to say it was a what was it Eric six two lead in the third and lost it in overtime a couple weeks ago, and then they lost in overtime last time. Oh, with uh, Ontario, with on, yeah, they with it's Ontario, just been brutal because so. they played them on back-to-back Sunday nights right. and lost in overtime for both of them. And the first one, though, being that crazy, like, right. they were up, like, 6-2 to two with 16 minutes to go and lost in overtime, which is, they got a point out of it, which matters, and that, that was, you know, keep their chins up. But, but yeah, so they got two more this weekend against Ontario, so it ends up being four out of five games. I mean, that's that's a lot against the same team. And, uh, well, that's just how the AHL is, though. Yeah. And that, but then they start um, this. They so this is this will be our long, their longest home stand of the year. I didn't realize it. They've played fewer home games than anyone in the league um, so okay. far. They've only played eight. And they've um, been really tonight. good at the TCC too mm-hmm. this year. And they've been really good coming back from road trips. I don't know how much that means, but no matter what they've done on the road trip, they come back home and they. I think they're three and one. Um, the only loss being that weird eight to two blowout to to Stockton. Right. Um, and so they uh, they they. I genuinely, I truly believe from the conversations I've had, and I'm curious what you say, Eric, from yours, that they like being at home. I know everyone kind of says that, and sometimes players don't. I mean, they like the road because it's concentration, focus. They're not dealing with life. They're just playing hockey. But um, but I, th- I get the impression this team really likes being home. I think that just goes for any hockey team. You know, you're sleeping in your own bed. You're not yeah. in a hotel room. Um, you're eating your own food. You're not doing anything like that. So, yeah, no, I do get the sense that this team really likes playing at home. The TCC, you know, Tucson 4 being a non-traditional hockey market really draws well for the most part, especially on weekends. There's a good fan atmosphere. So, yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. They really do like being at home. I think they're going to draw well tonight and tomorrow um, with some of the promotions, too. The teddy bear toss tomorrow, Rob and I were talking about that. It's going to be a fun one. Nothing like uh, Hershey. You're not going to see anything like Hershey, but you still might see some fun out of it. It was really good last year. You were at yeah. that game too, Rob. I can't uh, what was the, about how many did they get that time? It was it was a good it was a really good um, number. I can look it up. Uh, one of uh, the other writers in All Sports Tucson wrote a special on that when that happened, so I'll take a look real quick. But yeah, I've been, uh, um I'm I'm excited to see how that turns out. Um, and like you guys definitely said it right. It's like I mean Tucson ha- now has a pretty good fan base. Obviously, it started off a little bit rocky, but you know like they've been growing and growing and growing and uh you're only seeing more. Obviously, you you had the disappointment over the playoffs where they barely even sold half their seats. But I mean, right now, you know, Tucson's continuing to ride a pretty good season. They about c- yeah. Okay, so they collected about three thousand last year. So okay. that pretty solid, uh, and it was in partnership with Aviva, which is some charity that's down here. Yeah, so I'm I'm definitely going to see probably definitely see a lot more this weekend. You're going to see, I mean, at least I would hope so, um, based off you know the how the difference in fans are coming and uh, the increase that we're seeing over the last you know 
few months, weeks, whatever you want to call it. Well, Tucson, one of the best things for Tucson, too, is they've had so much success in their uh, young team history here uh, in Tucson as an AHL team. I mean, they won the division last year. They came out to a really, really good start in their inaugural season, but fell off after that. And uh, they're playing well again this year. So, all I mean, fans like a winner, so... All of that helps the organization. All that helps building more fans and uh, consistently drawing more crowds. And they've done a really good job of of leveraging personalities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's created a, a home team. And um, even the situation, you know, that happened in the in the opening year. I mean, even Cunningham, even yeah. with Cunningham, of course, of course, nobody wants to see something like that happen. But he and the team rallied together in some respects and and the organization and and it really brought a fan base together in kind of a familial way and i think he deserves so much credit for that and being willing to be part of this down here i've seen him down here a couple times he's still with the coyotes as a scout and he's been he's been in the arena a couple times this season just chilling up next to the press box especially sorry especially in the inaugural season and in the second season for the roadrunners he would frequently attend games and he'd talk to whoever came up to him like craig's been really good with the fans and it also brought a crazy amount of publicity to the organization because there was a special on Sports Center about Cunningham, yeah. and then uh, well, and, and like I said, it's yeah. weird to talk about it like that because we don't want to act like they were using that to their advantage. It's right. not like that, but I think they realized this is a situation that is bigger than hockey, and right. it allowed them to really gain some instant cachet and credibility in a weird way because they didn't exploit it and capitalize on it. It really was all whatever. Cunningham wanted to do was what the organization did or, or the connection or his interaction and and the fans really enjoyed that and I think that's a testament to Tucson I mean we've talked about this with U of A sports a lot Rob and I you and I have that you know this is a this is not a small town I mean there's a million people here in southern Arizona yeah. and yet it's rally or centerpiece is the university well from a pro, pro sports standpoint we now have this this other component in play and, and I think the in- other interesting thing regarding Cunningham too is I know uh, last last year they had that Cunningham Jersey retirement night and there was a chance that the media got a chance to talk to Cunningham. I'm not sure if you were at the screen. I was not, not at that press conference um, no. But uh, he talked about how you know he's played in so many different hockey cities. He played for the Vancouver Giants. He played for the Boston Bruins and you know and the Providence Bruins, the minor league team. And he's been he's been all over the place. And he says, what do I really think is probably the the best town I've been in in terms of friendly environment and who I really love being. It's Tucson. He said, like, he loves being in Tucson. He feels like everyone, all the fans, yeah. he can act like as a family. He's, they just, he just loves it. And I think it's embraced the rest of the players, especially through a situation like this year, you know, which has zero, you know, catastrophic implications like what happened to Cunningham, but, um, but where players are moving up and down. I'm reading right now from Craig Morgan with The Athletic that uh, Garland might play right away because there's Hinnestros is injured now and there's a possibility Michael Bunting gets called up this weekend I mean there's they're losing so much and yet they're just reloading but with guys that the the fan bases are sort of falling in love with so um, I I think that that's that's a bit a pretty big testament to the fans and to the the way that the organization has embraced the crowds well all of that benefits the Coyotes organization up in Phoenix because before that I don't think there was really much of a reason for the people down here in Tucson to really follow the Coyotes, pay attention to the Coyotes, and like the Coyotes. And now that you got these minor league players down in Tucson that people that the fans here are getting to know in the minor league ranks, they're going to start caring more about how those guys do. Well, and and if you look at the three we just talked about, Hill, Garland, and Bunting, 
I think one, two, and four on the all-time. Um, and Hill's a little weird, but so we'll use him in terms of availability, not so much games played because goalies right. play less. But all-time games dressed. <laughs> I think they're number one, two, and four in the Coyotes' all-time list. Mermis really? is the third place one. So I mean, to your point, these are guys that have become synonymous with the Roadrunners organization, and now that they're getting called up and getting to play at the NHL level, that Coyotes brand now has a resonance with the Tucson fans. Exactly oh, what you're talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. And like Dylan Strom, I said it in an article last year, he's probably one of the best athletes ever to play in the city of Tucson, if you really think about it. I mean, considering everything, you know, Wildcats, um, well, all the Wildcats teams plus the Roadrunners, Strom really brought a lot of star power to Tucson last year, and he put, you know, people in the seats, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, you you, you see that all over the face, all over the place. I think... Um, Obviously, you know you had Strom down in Tucson for you know that entire that almost the entirety of last season, and I think obviously he'd, you'd expect that kind of crowd when he was here because you know he's he was a, thir- a game changing talent. He was a third overall pick too. Like yeah, like you don't get that much very you don't get that chance to see a player like that very often. No. And uh, you also had Merkley and Krause playing on that line. You know, everyone in the media was lauding that as, you know, the line of three first-round picks. And, in the uh, same year. T- oh, no, one was a, a year Yeah, year one was a year earlier, but um, everyone was talking about just how much talent was on that team, how much talent was on that top line, and how rare it was to get that in the AHL. And to see that most of those are, got, are now gone. You know, Strom now over in Chicago. Krause is up in Arizona. Uh, in Arizona and... Uh, Merkley is still down. Um, he's kind he's of he's kind of floating. Recovering. He's kind, he's still recovering, so it's kind of a little bit difficult for him. But you know, then you have another player who's kind of like kind of floating around, who was great last year, and I still want to see more from him. Hopefully, he comes back to him to the former self that he was. Was a Lionel fan, right? I want like obviously he was a fan favorite. I think he still is a fan favorite. I see a lot of people like to like to talk about Dell fan, and I get a lot of questions about that. You know, writing for Five for Howling, there's a lot of Coyotes fans who constantly want to figure out what's going on down here in Tucson, and you know they always talk about a lot of the guys down here. You know, Bunting being one of them, mm-hmm. uh, Dell fan being another, Merkley, all of these guys. They're they've been top players. So this so tonight to reset this, you're going to be. Covering the game tonight for Five for Howling. I'm going to be there for the Daily Star. Eric, are you on tomorrow? Uh, I could request it, I suppose. I uh, I didn't request tonight because I wasn't sure what my schedule looked mm-hmm. like with finals and projects and essays like that. But I definitely could request tomorrow night. But I'm not. I will not be there tonight. So we've got it covered, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, we're um, not to go too in depth because we can talk. Ab- I can talk about that or any of us really maybe sometime early next week is when Colorado comes to town and that'll be er- that'll be in the early parts of next mm-hmm. week right but uh we can go ahead and you know wrap it up and talk about maybe I know I'm going to do a post series podcast I don't know if any of you guys will be able to do that l- um, later after this weekend but I uh, just you know go ahead and wrap up the Ontario weekend afterwards the ontario weeks <laughs> it's been <laughs> I mean, they've been playing uh, it was started with yeah. San Diego and now it's Ontario 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 um but yeah, so we can just go ahead and wrap things up um, since we're at, technically went 25 minutes over. But you know, um, hey, it's a Friday. It's a we, Friday. The booth's open. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> um, it's it's finals week here at U of A, so not very many people are use, u- using uh, these booths right now. So uh, it was great to have a uh, quite of a lengthy talk again. Tuesday, Tuesday was fun because we had that opportunity right. also. 
but we'll, we might do that again once again later and we time. had an excellent guest you know excellent conversations thanks again to brett for coming on yeah thank you guys i appreciate it thanks for having me yeah so once again thanks everybody for tuning in to inside the glass on camp student radio um we're gonna go and probably take mostly a li- like a break from our live shows um probably for quite a while until at least the next semester begins mm-hmm. uh but uh with that said i mean I, at least i might do a couple of uh you know quick hitting uh podcast episodes over the winter break from home have a remote setup back there yeah um, we rob and i did that over the summer so if we can roll with the same setup we'll be good but yeah, yeah with that said once again thanks everyone for tuning in and uh we'll see you soon <laughs>